through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The LOLs, the moments that mattered, the eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. For many of you watching, I know that this may be the first time you're even hearing about the Freedom Rides. But let me tell you, if it were not for these American heroes, this country would be a very different place right now. And the lives of millions of you would be dramatically different. I know my life would be, were it not for them. We begin with a look back at what life was like back in 1961, when the Freedom Riders movement was born. In 1961, John F. Kennedy was sworn in as America's 35th president. At just 43, he was the youngest president elected to office. The Camelot era was, for many, a time of hope and optimism. Gas was just 31 cents a gallon, and many families saw the USA in their Chevrolet. That same year, the United States put our first man into space. Popular TV shows like Leave it to Beaver and The Andy Griffith Show depicted an idyllic all-American life. But those images were far from the reality for many African Americans, especially in the Deep South. Jim Crow laws forced black people to use separate water fountains, separate public restrooms, and waiting rooms, even on buses and trains. We had to sit in the back. In 1946, and again in 1960, the U.S. Supreme Court outlawed these racist practices, but many white Southerners continued to follow their own set of rules. During those hate-filled and terrifying times, in the South and other parts of the country, a fearless and determined group of Americans, men and women, black and white, many of them still in college at the time, joined together to fight against racial injustice in our country. It was dangerous and daring. Some even considered it a suicide mission. 13 courageous freedom riders would risk their lives to board buses in Washington, D.C. and head south into the belly of the segregation beast. The plan was to buy tickets on interstate buses for a two-week journey that would end in New Orleans. Along the way, the riders would test federal laws that prohibited segregation by riding in the front of buses and sitting in waiting rooms designated whites only and colored. The movement was organized by CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality. CORE trained all the Freedom Riders to be nonviolent, how to protest without ever striking back. 
The Freedom Riders hoped this nonviolent movement would force the federal government to step up and protect their civil rights. It was that optimism that would lead to one of the most significant moments in American history. On the 50th anniversary of the Freedom Rides, we honor the 436 brave and determined people who risked their lives to change our nation. As an African-American woman born in Mississippi in 1954 and raised in the South, I owe a deep debt of gratitude to the Freedom Riders, as do we all. Ladies and gentlemen, I stand among heroes. Join me in welcoming 178 survivors of the 1961 Freedom Rides. It was 50 years ago that the Freedom Rides officially began. And after several days of intense training, a small group of activists fighting to end segregation believed in the deepest part of themselves that they were ready for any, anything, even the possibility of death. 13 brave Freedom Riders boarded buses with no security, only their hope and undying determination to change an inhumane way of life. They knew they could be viciously attacked, even killed, but their need to fight for racial equality was greater, stronger, more significant than the fear of losing their own lives. But they had no idea what lay ahead. On the 11th day of the ride, May 14, 1961, two buses left Atlanta one hour apart. Freedom Riders were on both buses along with regular passengers. The first bus crossed the Alabama state line and was soon surrounded by an angry mob organized by the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK. The crowd, carrying metal pipes, clubs, and chains, smashed windows and dented the sides of the bus. The terrifying siege lasted about 15 minutes. Eventually, the driver was able to pull away, but did not realize someone had slashed the tires. Panicked, the driver went for help, abandoning the bus. Then something crashed through a window. With their lungs filled with smoke, the passengers spilled out onto the grass and into the hands of the angry mob. Genevieve Hughes-Houghton and Hank Thomas are two of the surviving Freedom Riders who were on the bus that was set ablaze. Uh, so, welcome. Thank you very much. At what point were you, when you were on that bus, did you think, this is serious and we may die? When the mob had pretty much broken out most of the windows, mm -hmm. uh, they were trying to get into the door, but fortunately for us, when the bus driver got off of the bus, he, he locked the door so they couldn't get inside. So for a moment, I thought we were safe. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how you were able to escape? Well, after a while, I couldn't breathe any longer, so I thought it would be a good idea to go to the front of the bus. Maybe there'd be some oxygen there. Did you all think you were gonna die on that bus? I certainly did. Mm -hmm. 
I, I knew if I got off the bus, I knew the mob would kill How me. How old were you at the time? 19. 19. And that they bad. were yelling, we're going to, you know, we're going to kill these niggas. And so I had that particular choice. Mm -hmm. If I stayed on the bus, and frankly, I decided to, at that point, to commit suicide. Really? It was just a question of how I was going to die. I knew I was going to die. So I thought that if I breathed in the smoke, took a big, deep breath of the smoke, mm -hmm. it would put me to sleep, and that's the way I would die. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do that. And when I did, of course, the involuntary actions of your body takes over, mm -hmm. and you try to fight for air. So ran up to the front of the bus, and the people outside were holding the bus door when they saw that we were trying to get off. And I could hear them saying, let's burn them niggas alive. They're trying to get off the bus. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that moment, the fuel tank in the back of the bus exploded. Mm. And when it exploded, everybody ran the ones outside. And that's the only way we were able to get off of that bus. How old were you, Genevieve, at the time? I was 28. You were 28. Well, you know, throughout the movement, there were Southerners, both black and white, yes. who risked their lives to help the Freedom Riders. One of them was a brave seventh grader at the time. Imagine. Janie Forsythe was just 12 years old when the Freedom Riders bus was firebombed right in front of her family's grocery store. 14 people were trapped inside. And Janie is here with us. Come on out, Janie. Thanking me. Now I have a character. Thank you. That was wonderful what you did. You're an amazing woman. That is so courageous at 12 years old. And I understand that after that, was your family ostracized because of what you did? Uh, yes and no. It mm -hmm. was mostly me. Mm -hmm. What happened to you after this? Well, I was waiting for a shoe to drop because I knew it was not a safe thing to defy the Ku Klux Klan. I heard that they had had one of their meetings wherever and whenever they were, and that they had discussed what to do about Richard Forsyth's little girl, Janie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I found out that in that meeting, some of them had decided to give me a pass because I was young and obviously didn't know what I was doing, and I was weak-minded. But if you had been older, if you had been the age that Genevieve was at that time. If you were 28 and you had done that? She would have been trashed. Yeah. She would have been. Uh, it would not have been safe for an adult man or woman to do what I did. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Janie. Some of the Freedom Riders explain why they got on those buses 50 years ago. I got on the bus because I knew that the ride must continue. I got on the bus because I heard this compelling voice. I got on the bus because as a Jew, I was against prejudice, racism, and hatred. I would rather be dead than not free, and that is the reason that I got on that bus. What do you believe in so strongly that you'd be willing to die for? Hearing these stories of the Freedom Riders makes you think about that. I know in my heart, I don't believe I would have had the courage to do what these brave souls did. I don't believe I would have had the courage to get on those buses. United States Congressman John Lewis is a prominent figure in the civil rights movement. He's a name we all should know, who once worked side by side with Dr. Martin Luther King 
He joined the Freedom Rides as a 21-year-old seminary student. Think of your own life at 21. On May 9, 1961, when he stepped off the bus and into a South Carolina bus terminal, he was beaten bloody by an angry white man. Take us back to that day. Welcome. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. On May 9, 1961, my seatmate was a young white gentleman by the name of Albert Bigelow. Mm -hmm. And the moment we stepped off the bus, we attempted to enter a so-called white waiting room. It was marked white waiting. And a group of young men came toward us and started beating us. And I was beaten and left bloody. Mm -hmm. When you were trained to be nonviolent and then you're put in the situation where people are actually beating on you, what space did you have to go into? to not to fight back, because your, your natural instinct is to protect yourself. Well, during the time I was being beaten and other times when I was being beaten, mm -hmm. I had what I call an executive session with myself. Wow. I, I said, uh, I'm going to take it. I'm prepared. On the Freedom Ride, I was prepared to die. You were prepared to die. I wanted to end segregation and racial discrimination. I had grown up seeing those signs. I didn't like it, so I wanted to do something about it. So Elwin Wilson says he knows exactly what happened to John Lewis that day because he is the man who beat him. After years of regret, uh, Elwin apologized to the congressman in 2009, and today Elwin speaks out against bigotry and intolerance. So thank you for being here today. I know this takes a lot of courage on your part to show your face to the world and to say, I am the man uh, who beat you. When can you tell us, did you have the epiphany or the revelation, or did it occur to you that black people were just as human as you? When did that occur to you? Well, back, I prayed uh, so many times mm -hmm. that I could meet the man that I beat at the station, mm -hmm. bus station. Well... Were you a member of the Ku Klux Klan? Oh, yeah. You were? Mm -hmm. I've, I've belonged to the Klan All for right. a short time. Okay. Was he the only person you beat up that day? No. No. After he was beat and bloody and all, he, a policeman came up and asked him, said, do y'all want to check out warrant? Press charges. People. Right. Yeah. Make charges. He said, no. He said, we're not here to cause trouble. He said, we're here for people to love each other. Am I right? You're right, Mr. Wilson. Mr. Wilson. So, Mr. Wilson, when you heard him say, no, I'm not here to cause any trouble. I'm here for love. Did that strike you as being what kind of, what is that? Oprah, I'm gonna tell you, it played a big part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought it come in my mind so many times what he said. Mm -hmm. He wasn't out to harm nobody. Mm -hmm. Mr. Wilson came to my office. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, I attacked you and I'm sorry. Um, I want to apologize. Mm -hmm. Will you accept my apology? Mm -hmm. and, and I said, yes. And he gave me a hug. Was that the first time you knew who had actually done it? Oh, yeah. It? Mm -hmm. And he started crying. Mm -hmm. I hugged him back. Mm -hmm. And I shed some tears. 
also. Mm -hmm. And um, he's the first and only person who've ever apologized to me. Wow. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you very much. Before I got on the bus, I wrote out a will. I was afraid that I might not get back home to my family. When I decided to go on the Freedom Ride, my parents were quite upset. My mother was afraid I was going to get killed. And my father uh, thought that I had ruined my life. I got on the bus. I was 18 years old. My mother was terribly worried about me. But I felt it was worth the risk, segregation being such an evil system. I did not plan to survive the trip. I knew the danger, not willing to sacrifice my life for the freedom of my people. After several days of bloodshed, the Freedom Riders were stranded in Alabama. No bus drivers were willing to take them any further, and they were surrounded by a hostile, racist mob. The Freedom Rides were over. Southern white supremacists thought they had won, but they did not know about an utterly fearless young woman named Diane Nash, a soft-spoken force to be reckoned with. She was. Diane Nash was a leader of the Nashville student movement in 1961. She turned 23 on the very day the Freedom Rides were canceled. But Diane was not willing to give up. And so that same day, she agreed to coordinate a second wave of Freedom Rides, keeping the movement alive. In the middle of final exams, 21 students from various Nashville colleges left school to join the fight for equality. When U.S. Attorney General Robert Kennedy heard that more students were continuing the Freedom Rides, he called his assistant, John Siegenthaler. Welcome, Diane Nash and John Siegenthaler. Bravo. 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 We're standing for you. Had you all just had enough? Yes. You had had enough. Segregation was so humiliating. Uh, if you went downtown in Nashville during the lunch hour, blacks would be sitting on the curb eating their lunch that they had brought from home or had brought from a restaurant on a mm -hmm. takeout basis. And uh, it, was, it was humiliating, and I hated it. The students that Diane organized, Miss Nash organized, eventually made it to Montgomery. Alabama, where Klansmen had been waiting for them all night. A full-scale riot then broke out. John Siegenthaler was there. John, you were there representing the, the Attorney General, Robert Attorney Kennedy, General of the United the States. And they didn't want this to happen. Did not want it. I mean, yeah. the last thing the administration needed was an explosion, uh, a conflagration of violence. Mm -hmm. And um, so you end up in the middle of the riot. I wound up in the middle of a violent Ryan, yes. mm -hmm. I was hit in the head, and they, I'd never been knocked unconscious before, and, uh, and I, then they knocked me down and kicked me under the car, and I woke up 30 minutes later, mm -hmm. a policeman finally picked me up. It, it's almost impossible to imagine that we were that sort of a Southern society at, at that time. That, mm -hmm. that 50 years ago. Oh, and, 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 when you, and when you think about that, you wonder where it came from, where the courage of these children 
came from. Yes. Every time I complied with a segregation sign and went used the back door or something, I felt like I'm agreeing mm -hmm. that I'm inferior. Mm -hmm. Too inferior to use uh, the ordinary facility that the general public mm -hmm. used. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a real problem mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad it was a problem. I'm glad it was a problem that you did something about it. Thank you, Ms. Nash, Mr. Sigenthaler. On day 21, the National Guard escorted the Freedom Riders out of Alabama, but there were no feelings of relief as they crossed the border into Mississippi. Mississippi was the state they feared the most. When the Freedom Riders walked into the whites-only waiting room in the Jackson, Mississippi bus terminal, they were immediately arrested and eventually sent to Parchman Penitentiary. Those arrests inspired hundreds more to become Freedom Riders. They came by bus, plane, and train from every corner of the United States to Mississippi. Men and women of every age, every race, and religion determined to fill Parchman Prison and overthrow segregation. Ernest Rip Patton Jr., Carol Ruth Silver, and Congressman John Lewis were among the 300 Freedom Riders who spent the summer of 1961 in Parchman Prison. Congressman Lewis, when you arrived in Mississippi, and knowing, as I said earlier, I you know, grew up knowing it's one of the most racist states, did you know you were in trouble? Well, I grew up in Alabama. I thought Alabama was bad. <laughs> but uh, I had never been to Mississippi before. Mm -hmm. When I saw that sign that said, Welcome to Mississippi, the Magnolia State, my heart started beating a little faster. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the air got warmer. Mm. I hear that they tried to make your prison sitting especially miserable, Rip. Yes, they did. Uh, we, we did a lot of singing, mm -hmm. and they didn't like the singing. Mm -hmm. And every time that they would uh, threaten to do something, we would sing. Uh, for example, we're going to take your mattress. You can take our mattress. Oh, yes. <laughs> you can take our mattress. Oh, yes. You can take our mattress. You can take our mattress. You can take our mattress. Oh, yes. Now, that meant sleeping on steel. Mm -hmm. But we were willing to give up those mattresses. So were you also, you were also in Parchman Prison? Right, there mm -hmm. were 23 mm -hmm. girls, mm -hmm. I say girls because we were pretty young, in one cell. How old were you at the time? I was 21. 21. And those 23 girls were in a cell in Hines County that was built for four. So there were four bunks and the rest of us slept on the floor. Mm. And we were told they're gonna take you to Parchman. And we were really afraid at that point because the, the reputation of Parchman is that it's a place that a lot of people get sent and don't come back. Don't come back from, yes. Don't come back. Wow. Right. On September 22nd, 1961, the Interstate Commerce Commission issued an order taking down all of the Jim Crow signs from all of the bus and rail stations in the South. The Freedom Riders had won. 50 years after the original movement, 40 college students are now retracing the route of the Freedom Rides. From Washington, D.C. to New Orleans, they are riding alongside some of the original Freedom Riders. I'm getting on the bus because I believe that knowledge is power. I'm getting on the bus because the movement 
is not finished. The thing I'm really interested in is what inspires ordinary people to stand up for justice and how young people can get involved in sustaining a movement around the world. That's what's great. Congratulations to William, to Dua, to Michael, Tanya, and Caitlin, who were selected out of 1,000 students to join the rides. Thank you all for being here. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. I wanted to do this show today because I think it's so important for all Americans to know who we are, where we came from, how we came to be. You, you, you have to know who you are and what your history is. Ray Arsenault is the first uh, professional historian to write a comprehensive book on just this movement. It's called Freedom Riders, and it's a beautifully written historical account. You're a gifted storyteller, because this is all about every story, each individual's story here. Why did you want to tell this and these stories? Well, as we've seen today, it's, this is a story that had to be told. Uh, when I began work on the book about 13 years ago, I, I wasn't sure that anybody could do full justice mm -hmm. to, the, to the Freedom Rider story, but I, I, I had to try. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the, just the dramatic power of, of what they accomplished back in 1961. Everybody who dared to get on those buses is a hero and a heroine. That, that, that's, that's really the story of the Freedom Rides yeah. uh, to me. It, they had right. the courage inside themselves. Uh, it was, it, they, they found something larger than themselves and it, you know, they, they signed on for life. I mean, they weren't, they weren't gonna pass their responsibility off to, to anyone else. It's always the young people. Thank you, Ray. I would like to give a special acknowledgement to five of the visionaries who helped inspire and plan the Freedom Rides. George Hauser. Gordon Carey, Tom Gaither, and Reverends James Lawson and C.T. Vivian. Also, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth <laughs> played a critical role in protecting the Freedom Riders. It has really been an honor for me, and I know for those of you who were a part of this audience and those of you at home, to celebrate all of you. On behalf of all of America, may I say you make us proud to call ourselves American. Thank you. Thank you. And may I also say we stand in reverence for what you have done, and we can ask ourselves these questions as we look at the courage that you all showed at such a young age. What's wrong with the world? and what can we do to change it? Thank you. Thank you for that. Bye, everybody. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening.